Hey, Jeff Fuller with you. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. I just want to uh, make you aware that you can certainly subscribe to Google Podcasts, the iTunes uh, podcast platform as well. This is the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of J. Fuller Interviews, again, on Google Podcasts and iTunes. This is the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of J. Fuller Interviews. And the YouTube channel is simply J. Fuller Interviews on Instagram and Twitter. J. Fuller Interviews. I believe people's stories make our story much better, uh, less ignorant, and more impactful. And we have a great story coming at you right now. This is Tyree S. Washington. Tyree, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well. And uh, thank you so much for making the time. Um, I found you on Facebook. And interestingly enough, I'm just going to jump to that next slide. There is a book, Tyree Washington Against All Odds. I saw that. I thought this dude's going to be a cool interview if I can get him on. You graciously returned my call. And here we are chatting. Talk to me. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Riverside, California, which is Southern, Southern California. And so listening to some different podcasts that you've done, you grow up with a love for football. When did that change for you to track and field? Well, my love for my love for football never changed, even though I was running track. I, I believe that it was track was something that the that, that was going on at the at the present time that kind of filled a void, but it really wasn't something that I truly wanted to do. Uh, if anybody knows me, uh, my, my former teammates and coaches that Football was my everything, and ever since I was a little boy, my models were Walter Payton and Eric Dickerson. But I was just blessed to be gifted in both sports. <laughs> That's awesome, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But here's your website, TyreeSWashington.com, TyreeSWashington.com. And now you have success principles that you go around and teach. Did you always know that you were going to share these success principles, or did that come after when you were trying to Find something to do as a retired athlete. Well, I always knew that I love speaking. I love telling my story. I love helping people. I mean, and it's and I felt like God put the right people in my life at the right time that were going through uh, going through certain issues, and and I could relate to those issues. I could really help them. And I and I was passionate about it. I, I would, I mean, I I would do it no matter if I was sick, if I was tired, if I was hungry. I was always talking to someone, always trying to mentor them and empower them. So this was this was my calling. So I. I it was just, it was all about timing. So I have to admit, I had to do some research about you. And as I did, I was quite impressed. Uh, for me, growing up in Vermont, not having cable TV ever, my parents still don't have cable TV. I loved the Olympics because it was like sports for two weeks nonstop that I could actually watch and follow and track and field. Uh, Carl Lewis was my childhood hero, and just watching uh, sprinters was just amazing, of which behind me, you're a 400-meter world champion. You have multiple medals. You have incredible uh, accolades and awards. Can you just talk to me about just being fast? Was that something you knew right off, that you were faster than everybody, or did you really have to work at that to uh, gain um, that speed even quicker than what you were born with? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think everybody's fast in their own respect and you can always get faster. But at a very young age, I was I was running against uh, racing kids that were older than me, that were bigger than me, and I was beating them. And that's when I figured that I was really good because kids would come from different neighborhoods. And once they hear about, like, there's a kid, there's a kid in his neighborhood that's really fast, he would have these race-offs. And, and so we would race and I would beat them. And that's when I knew that 
that I had something, there was something there that I had a gift. I had a gift that I had to take advantage of. <laughs> and so there was also a 400-meter runner, uh, and I say this respectfully, but he may have been a little bit more famous than you, at least early on, and that is Michael Johnson. Could you just talk about that relationship with Michael? Yeah, Michael. Well, Michael is extremely famous. He's he was a phenomenal four hundred meter runner, and and for me, it was somebody that, in a sense, I looked up to, but I wanted to be, and I wanted to, I wanted to um, you know, surpass everything that he that he did in his track and field career. But uh, I, I, in nineteen ninety seven, I was still in, I was in junior college, and my coach conditioned me to 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 think, to dress, to to work out, and and to to be that number one wanted me to run in the world. And when I met Michael Johnson in Paris, France, I was able to beat him. And we went to the world championships. He, he won the gold and I took the bronze and David Kamoga took the silver. But um, I mean, in a, in a nutshell, I was great. I was a number two quarter miler in 1997 and I was still in junior college. Wow. Uh, how tall are you? I'm 5'11". Because I see Usain Bolt with those long strides, I'm uh, I'm closer to five nine. But um, can you just talk about were you intimidated by those long legged uh, framed athletes, or did you just know that you wanted to get out there and compete? Well, I think it goes back to it goes back to what I just stated before is that when I was in junior college, my coach taught me to act as if I was a professional athlete. So I was going to think that way. I was going to dress. I was going to think like a professional athlete, dress like one, practice like one. Do everything like one because he said, when you become a professional athlete, it's not going to be a culture shock for you. So when I ran against Michael Johnson and, and Michael Johnson, and the year prior, he had broke the world record in the 200, broke the Olympic record in the 400 meters. I didn't fear him because my coach had just instilled in me that I'm the best 400 meter runner in the world. I've had, I race Usain Bolt. And, and uh, he's beaten in the 200 meters, but I race uh, quarter milers that were like six, seven, six, eight. But there was no fear that was there, no fear that was there because I the man, my mentality was it doesn't really matter how big or strong you are that I'm gonna go out there and just run my race. You know, well, the plus I had a, yeah. The name of your book is Against All Odds, and uh, going back a little bit, you were hoping to play football at Oregon. That didn't work out. Do you think that really started to develop resilience within you just to overcome, or when did that thought of Hardship, it was going to happen, but you were going to overcome no matter what. Well, I, I, had, to, I had to overcome hardships since um, the day I popped out of my mother's womb. There was always something I was dealing with, with, with illness, I was dealing with my environment, and dealing with a lot of the games and drugs and processes and all those things. And, and so for me, when it was it was time to be at the professional, professional level, I just I already had thick skin. I didn't, didn't fear anyone. I just wanted to go out there and and do my job and just be the best in the world. Now, share a little bit with me. Uh, opportunity that you've had behind me, there's a picture of you with Elisa Leslie and just uh, wearing the uh, United States across your chest. It's opened some doors for you. I think you were the man of character before that happened. But can you just talk about how you treat relationships with so-called famous people or celebrities now? Well, I just treat uh, any celebrity like, like I would treat anybody else, any, any normal individual. Uh, I think that, that you know, celebrities, they've obviously accomplished um, some phenomenal things and more than someone else that has it or just someone that's normal. But at the end of the day, they're a human being. And I think that 
it's, it's like when we're on some of the celebs, just like you're on your peers. I mean, obviously, they want to know what you've done in your career. You want to know what you've done in your career. But when we talk about our experiences, training, and competing, whatnot, and but uh, it's it's quite normal. It doesn't. I mean, I can meet Mike Tyson tomorrow, and we just I'm gonna talk about training. Like, you know, what did you do to train to get in great shape to become a world champion, and uh, so on and so on. And something I appreciate about you, and we've only known each other for a few days, maybe even a week, but it's you really live that out. And I know that because you had opportunity to meet Denzel Washington as your wife is in the military. And for <laughs> you, you said it was cool, but you just you knew how to act. Where did you gain that character? Uh, who role modeled that for you? Was that a parent, a coach? Where did that aspect of maturity really come and take place? Well, my, it, was, it all came from my coaches. Uh, it came from my mother and my grandmother, my family, my mother and my grandmother from the South, Louisiana. I was from Natchitoches. And, and it's that, that Southern hospitality. And it's just about treating people how you want to be treated. And for me, I don't really care about your race. I don't care about your color. I just want to judge. I want to I get to know you. I mean, I spent 10 years overseas competing track and field, and 11 years, let's just say. And, and I would talk with anybody and everybody because you never know who you're going to meet that's going to change your life. TyreeSWashington.com is where you can find him, TyreeSWashington.com. And Tyree, you did, or we just mentioned about how your wife is in the military. Can you just talk about how that is affecting you, uh, being the stay-at-home dad, being uh, in the middle of a pandemic? How are you surviving this time of uncertainty? Well, I think you have to be a chameleon. And I've been a chameleon my whole life. You have to just adapt to the situation. And uh, you know, I think the lesson that we all have now is we have technology. Where I can I can do podcasts. I mean, I still train athletes on um, on base at Fort Irwin, California, and and uh, for me, just being at home because usually I'm traveling. Me and the wife we have a crazy schedule. Our home is like it's like home alone. We have five kids, so there's all this stuff going on. It's just nuts. But when she's she's out in the box and she's training, or I'm having to travel, and and like we need we bring my mother all that kid and watch watch the kids. We have a babysitter, so we find a way to make it happen, but. I think more or less it just it gives me uh, gives me and my wife opportunity and my kids so we can become closer together. Uh, we can bond more. I think that's important, and we always just focus on the gratitude and walk because uh, despite what's going on in the world, and you know, a lot of people don't have as much as we do, and so we go to where we have. Yeah, it's so good. And uh, the name of the book is Against All Odds, the story of a world champion who turned his trauma into triumph. I was captivated by the section where it talks about how you lost out on medals because you had teammates doping. First question, I do ask respectfully, but what was the temptation like for you to participate in some of the doping that your teammates did get caught up in? Well, uh, you know, just to clarify, I never was doping. I mean, I, I lost medals uh, because two of my teammates were, were taking performing enhancing drugs. And when Balco happened, they, uh, the federal government came in. They started asking questions. They, uh, my teammates started confessing. And that's when, because I was on a relay team with them, they started stripping, they started stripping the gold medals. And it was very unfortunate because obviously when you're part of a team, and that's a family atmosphere, I mean, you want everybody to be able to play with and it should be, you should all trust one another. There should be no betrayal, but unfortunately, the betrayal happened. And so yeah, I think it goes back to my life that I had to turn a bad situation to something good. I can be able to make use of it and be able to educate other uh, people around the world about what not to do. 
So I'm not asking for names, but were you aware that this was taking place with your teammates or was it a surprise to you as well? No, it was a surprise. I didn't even know. I mean, yeah. I mean if I had any type of inclination of what's going on, and I mean, it would have, I definitely, I would have thrown them off the team no matter how close you are because just to, to maintain their integrity. Because uh, people don't understand when you make a, when you make a bad decision like that, you not only affect yourself, but you affect everybody that's close to you. Your family, your friends, your fans, your federation. And, and so you have all the athletes out there that's been in the news. I mean, Marianne Jones, you have the late Antonio Pettigrew. And I mean, the list goes on and on. It's just it's very unfortunate. It's not that we're all we're perfect. It's perfect. And we all have issues. We all fall, uh, we all fall short. But, um, but there is a ripple effect when you make that decision. It's complicated. So your calling card was kind of a uh, headband as you would run. Did you ever think that would, uh, be wind resistant, or do you think that would make you faster? Why did you wear a headband when you ran? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll tell you the story. Well, I ran, I wore the headband because wherever I wherever I was going to compete around the world, if I was in Osaka, Japan, if I was in London, Paris, I wanted my mother to be able to recognize me. Mm. And I was the only one in the world that was wearing a headband, and I got ridiculed before uh, ridiculed while I was in junior college before I became a big name. And, track and field people probably were stupid but obviously when you go out there and you went fast and break records everybody thinks it's cool now and so it was one of those deals but it was for my mom what was it like to be running in front of so many people so many cameras uh now my daughter uh plays sports high school sports and especially in vermont you're limited to fans to go out it's just kind of a crazy time during this pandemic but for yeah. you that energy was that exciting for you or was there a greater sense of pressure with that energy within that stadium within that crowd no i i, I would uh, i i would embrace the pressure i love the pressure and it just it, it gave me more energy and it doesn't matter if i was competing in the stadium of a, you know, with, you know, with a million people that i would i would block everything out and for me it was it, you can just imagine I was walking through a stadium and I just imagined there was nobody there. It was just me and my coach. And, and I was running against the clock and I knew that I had to execute my race. So I didn't, I didn't care about the, the fans. I didn't care about the cameras. I didn't care about the, the coaches and, and writers, any of that. I blocked all of that out. And it was just like, I, I always felt like wherever I competed, I was like a fish in water. So you had opportunity also to play in the National Football League, and uh, I believe you had a stint in the NFL, and then you went back to track and field. Being a part of football, always being your dream, was that just another story of resilience that you had to process and go through, or did you really feel as though that dream of playing in the NFL was lost? Uh, no, it wasn't lost because I, I was able to, I was able to make it to the highest level that you could possibly. Um, to make it to obviously in the National Football League. And if you read my a book against all odds, if you make sure you purchase my book against all odds, you read about the chapter of San Diego Chargers, uh, you'll learn the full extent of actually what happened in the NFL. But I lived out my dream. And and there's no shame in that. There's so many there's so many uh, athletes out there that they will never get their call names. They're being called to talk to a junior manager to get a workout or they'll be drafted, any of those things inside a contract. And I, I, I did that. So but uh, there's a there's a lot there's a lot in my book about that, so uh, I'll leave that for the readers. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to give too much away. We want them to jump on the website tyreswashington.com. Go get a copy of that book against all odds. Uh, so behind me, here's a picture of you wearing the USA across your chest. Did you always dream of being an Olympian? 
No, I didn't. I, I dreamed about being in the NFL. I, a lot of people don't realize is that in high school, I was all state quarterback. I signed a full ride scholarship to the University of Oregon. I didn't go deep in that because I want you to be my brother, of course. But, but I was a football player running track, and I've always felt that way. I was just gifted in, in both sports, and I can excel at the highest level. And, but uh, everything was about football. I never dreamed about being an Olympian, uh, but if, when I was in it, I wanted to give it 100% and to do my best. And so I wanted to, to be on top. But then I wasn't, and I had a chance to play, to play football. I'm going to give that 100%. <laughs> yeah. Can you just talk about now being a father? Uh, how much do you want to push your children to excel, but also you give them the freedom that they get to choose what they excel in, not just the things that you love? Well, I, I believe my, my kid, I mean, everybody's talented. My kids have a talent. It's about figuring out what their talent is and then exploiting it to the fullest. And I don't, a lot of times, I mean, Michael Jordan, he can relate to this, and you have a great athlete, so I can relate to this, that when, when, you know, when people, they, they, when people find out who you are and about your accolades, and then you have kids, they expect your kids to be the same thing you do. And I don't put that pressure on my kids. I let my, I let my kids do what they want to do, but I tell them that whatever you're doing, you give them 100% try. Because when you don't try, you fail. And, but when you're, when you're, when you, fail, when you do try, you don't fail. And so I don't, um, my eldest son, I have a 24 year old. He had it, he had it really hard because he tried to play football and it wasn't really his thing. He was walking out uh, in his office and they're like, hey, you can be like your father. And I'm like, oh my goodness, don't say that to him. But, but I, I love my kids and I give them hugs, give them kisses. And, and I just want them to do, and make them happy because if they do it for me, and if I just, if I tell them, well, I want you to quit, they're going to quit. But if they do it for themselves, no matter what I say, they're going to continue doing it. And that's, that's passion right there. Passion so for me being here in uh, New England, I always think about Tom Brady and uh, how he's gained some extra years, even though father time is undefeated. If yes. Tom Brady got to that point where he was retiring and he said, Tyree, what do I do now? What have you learned about retirement from athletics that you could share with Tom Brady or other athletes or just people in general on how to keep going and pursuing life, even though what they've always known isn't as accessible as it's been? Well, it's, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard when you've been doing something for 20 something years to transition to something else because you're within a world within a world and you're used to your peers. And I would, I tell athletes all over that for a professional level, even maybe collegiate level, is that whatever you love to do, start doing it right now. Don't wait till you retire. That's how the athletes get, they, 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 they cause more frustration for themselves that if they want to become an entrepreneur, start whatever they want to get into, start doing that right now. And Jack Canfield has this term uh, that he, he calls act as if. And so acting, acting like an entrepreneur right now, if you want to become a lawyer, you want to become a doctor, whatever it may be, Make sure you're going to school and you're doing internships. But I can that way now. So that way that when you do transition out of sport, it's going to be a lot easier. It's still going to be hard because you're no longer with your peers anymore. The same thing with the military. I mean, these guys do, they do 20 years. They do so many different tours. And all of a sudden, one day, it's like it's over with. They turn off the lights and your time is up because you're on a conveyor belt. But, but they have to start doing something right now because they may have their pension for the rest of their life, but they, but they still want to continue on to, to you know, to do the things that they love because they still have, you know, God willing, 40, 50 years left or whatever it may be. 
You know? So that's, that would be my advice for Tom Brady and many other athletes is don't wait till you retire and start transitioning now. Start like right now, do whatever you want to do transition. No, that's so wise. Uh, so I have a question I asked tongue-in-cheek, but was there ever an athlete that you thought you looked at and the eyeball test was, wow, they're going to be fast, they're going to be strong? But then you test your strong as you uh, suspected. Do you think that some people waste their talent or potential by not working as hard as others? Yeah, well, I mean, talent's only going to get you so far. And, I mean, you have to put talent in you're talented, but you have to apply action with it to be able to uh, get to where you want to be. And also, too, you have to throw in the character component. I mean, there's a, there's many different ingredients to become this elite athlete. But there's a lot of there's a lot of talented athletes out there that can can do probably you know probably the bare minimum and still go out there and supersede to someone that's giving it their all. But eventually, it catches up with you because when you get to an athlete that is very talented, they work hard. You're, you're going to be exploited. And so I feel a lot of athletes don't just rely on your talent and, and make sure that you build, you build a strong base because you don't want your foundation to be built on sand. You want it to be built on that, that, that rock. Yeah. And um, so you can continue to get stronger and stronger. That's really good. Tyree, why did you choose a 400? I believe it, cho- it, it chose me. Hmm. <laughs> and some. I mean, in high school, I was a one. I was a 120 meter runner, and but I loved to long jump. I was a state long jump champion in California. But uh, my coach, he he needed someone to run a four by four. And he asked, he asked, he asked "Hey, Ty, do you want to run?" I said, "Sure." I ran it one time and I got hooked. And so I, I and from then on, I was like, "I'm a quarter mile runner. I'm a quarter horse." Yeah, yeah. And, but uh, but I love it. It's not it's not for everybody. I mean, put it in perspective. You're sprinting over four football fields. I did it under. I did it in, and uh, 44 seconds, no, 44 seconds, no. And, and you have to have the heart and you have to have the mental toughness because if not, it's going to break you. Pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, my son, as a freshman in high school, he was put on that relay and uh, it was a tough race because it's not real. You have to pace yourself even though it's a sprint and uh, much respect to you for that. Um, with some of the athletes that you competed against or uh, we're teammates with what makes a good teammate? I think what is that we obviously have integrity and you're not going to do things that's going to jeopardize the team and yourself and someone that's going to give it a hundred percent. And uh, you have trust. You have trust. And in times that we have like this dream team, I mean, it was like the 92 uh, basketball team, right? Like, yeah. Phenomenal athletes. Uh, and, and, and they're all leaders. But everybody has to stay in their lane. And I think we all have a function. You have to do whatever it takes to, to get that W, to get that win, and to run fast. And for me, uh, it goes back into leadership, is that it didn't really matter. Obviously, anchor leg is a glory leg. Everybody wants to run that. But I didn't, I didn't, I would run second, I would run third, if I had to run first leg. I would do whatever, I would, I would, I would do whatever it took for me to help my team to win. I think that's what makes, so if my math is correct when you were the fastest man in the world you were running over 25 miles an hour is that correct like when you think about that 
Can you believe like whether it's a go-kart or whether it's a mini bike or whatever your kids are riding now, scooters, like you could, you could beat them in a race. You could outrun those uh, motorized vehicles. Uh, do you ever stop to think about that? How fast you really were at, at your prime? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just, I guess when I'm watching YouTube sometimes, I'm, 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 my kids seen it quite a few times and I'm looking, I'm like, is that really me? running that fast i mean it doesn't seem real but but i i did it i mean and i remember nbc came out to my junior college and i was doing i was doing um they were doing a segment on me and they were in the golf cart and they could barely i mean they could they could they could even keep up buying <laughs> around the track running you know bp 300 so it's it's amazing what the body can do and when you put I mean, you push it to its limits and i mean there's so many great athletes out there i mean michael phelps i mean look at him yeah. Like a fish in water, it's crazy. <laughs> where Where are your medals now? Medals are in my office at home, and in a trophy case. Uh, so my my kids can they can see them. They sell my uh, you know, shadow boxes and always everywhere. And uh, so they they can. I you know for me, it, I want them to, to see that stuff. So it it can motivate them, it can encourage them. That no matter what, they, no matter what they want to do in life, they just. They have a great attitude. They work hard. They can, they can accomplish and that's and that's for my athletes because I have athletes come over and I work with. They look, they look at the wall. They see all the trophies. And so it's 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 a great motivator. What's your favorite race you ever competed in? Oh, favorite race, uh, Rome. Hmm. Yes, yep. I competed. I competed in Rome, and I competed in London at the Crystal Crystal Palace meet. That was a that was a great meet. And I just love the I love the crowds, man, the, the energy. I mean, track and field is a European sport, and and uh, in the states, I mean, we obviously have Prefontaine, Mount Sac, and and uh, Henry Lake. But when we are, we go over the pond and we compete, it's just so another level. I mean, I I loved. I was in Osaka, Japan, quite a few times, and I loved it there. And had had a I competed against a runner, Koji Ito, who was who was amazing. I mean, uh, it was it was a battle. So I, I I battled so many athletes all over the world, Russians, Germans, and Japanese, Mexican, I mean Alejandro Cardenas. I mean, guys that some guys you look at like, there's no way this guy is fast, and then they get him on you get him on the track and they're just like, like road runners, man. You just yes. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> So I know for uh, for me being in Vermont, I bring that up again because, well, it is country. Uh, for you traveling around the world, was that a big adjustment for you? Yes, 1997, my first meet was in Paris, France, and it was 45 degrees and pouring rain. And I was like, I don't want to be here. I was actually going to be talking to my agent like, I'm going back home. I don't want to be here. He's like, well, you have to, you want to battle, you want to battle the best one meter in the world. And, is that you have to you have to get these uh, European you have to get a European circuit, but it took me some time to get used to it. But then I got hooked. I started meeting other forty meter runners, and we defended, defended each other, and and got used to the food. And I was like, "Hey, this is home now." Yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't want to leave. So uh, Tyree S. Washington, author of Against All Odds. Speaking of food, what is the worst food that you ever ate, or you ever think you ate? Well, I was just talking about this the other night with my family. I was in Budapest and I had Hungarian goulash and I did not like it. It was, it was, I was, it was very greasy and, and I just, I just, I don't know, I couldn't, my body couldn't handle it. I mean, I'm sure it's like, it's great for other people, but I just, 
<laughs> now, when I, when I was in Bible college, we took a trip to the Ukraine, and I have no idea, but there were a couple of stray dogs, and then I know we had some really greasy meat for breakfast one day, but the joke was we never saw the dogs the rest of the 10 days we were there, so I don't think we ate dog, but we did eat something very greasy, and so that's my my story, and I'm sticking to it. What? Well, <laughs> What's one of your favorite foods that you tried to bring back home that you got to experience overseas? Um, try to be back home. That's a great. Um, oh, man, that's a great question. My mind is spinning because I'm thinking. Uh, oh boy, I love crepes. Like crepes, uh, yeah. I mean, I really enjoy them, and um, I'm a. I love um, uh, man pastries. Yeah. Like I try to be patient. I'm like, I was addicted to pastries. I always wanted to bring a lot of pastries back. But I'm, I'm, I, I love a lot of sweets, and I don't eat a lot of sweets anymore. But <laughs> my coach would try to, they would try to minimize it because I'm just, well, I would get bigger. I'm with the weights. Yeah, I mean, I, I was big on the sweets, though. I loved Italy. I was in Milano, Torino, Rivierto, and, and just, I wake up every morning, saw the fresh bread, the pasta. Wish I could bring all that back. I mean, it just, that was amazing. Now, so Tyree, you graciously uh, called me off air before this interview, and we spoke a little bit. And uh, I know faith is important to you. Why is your faith important to you? Well, I mean, faith gives me faith gives me hope. I mean, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I know without Him, I'm nothing. And I, I think about whenever I'm going through a trying time in my life, and I know where I society and within our, around the world, uh, we're facing this pandemic, this COVID. And I always read the book of Job because Job went through so much. I mean, you know, when God allowed Satan to, to tempt him and I mean, Satan just uh, wrote down his family, affected his health, his riches, and all of that. Job remained faithful. And at the end, I mean, I felt blessed him more than you can imagine. So I just think about like all that Job went through in his life. And I'm like, and Job, Job can persevere and he can keep pushing forward and, make it. and I can make it. I know we all can make it. And I believe, like I said, that having spiritual, having spiritual knowledge and spiritual wisdom, that's important instead of having the worldly knowledge. And I look at first Peter five eight and say, you know, I lean not to your understanding. I know a lot of times when we look at something or we look at things that you know, and, our, and our minds are just circulating, is that what we're thinking may not be right. It's not aligning with God, and so we have to reach out to those. We have to reach out to those lifelines. And, and it may be a pastor, it may be a spiritual counselor, whatever it may be saying that I listen to be able to pull us out of whatever breath that we're in. So uh, it's, it's uh, having a spiritual foundation is huge for me. I know that when I leave this earth, uh, I'm not taking anything with me. God doesn't really care about my gold medals. You know, I've written a book and it's, it's great. Um, this meal plan one positive seed, but it's not about that book, but it's about me helping other people to, to know God and make a disciple of all nations. I mean, to do and just and just to love people. I think a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people out there that are against the Bible, and and there's a lot of people that represent the Bible and not in a good way. And and, and for me, I was, you know, personally, I just want to let people know that the Bible, whatever issue that you have in your life, there's an answer for it in the Bible. Yeah. It doesn't really matter if you're worrying, it doesn't matter if you're stressing, you're like a faith, you need hope. I mean, it gives you everything that you that you need and but you just have to be willing just to you know, just open up your heart because you know that whatever's in your heart comes out. So. 
really good. Hey, Tyree, we'll get you out in a couple questions, but thanks again for making the time. Against All Odds is the name of the book, Tyree Washington, TyreeSWashington.com. You talk about success principles. Can you just share where did you come up with these? Were these just life lessons? Were these just things you picked up along the way from different coaches, these success principles that you talk about so often? Yeah, I picked, well, I picked them up from coaches. I picked them up from, from family, from my own personal experiences, from Jack Campio, obviously um, taking his, uh, his CTO course, his trainer trainer course. And and, uh, and I think they just uh, I take all that information and just put it together and, and come up with my success books to really help people to overcome whatever challenges that they're going through in life. And obviously, they can help them become successful. And success is defined in many kinds of society in uh, many different ways. and. And some people may not become a professional athlete. They may become a manager, or uh, they may own they may own a franchise and feel that they're successful. And so, but just it's just teaching people to become the best at whatever they're doing in life, and to not ever give up. So, being the father of five, being married, where do you find time to get away? And when you do get away, do you just take a nap, or do you go for a run? Do you lift out? How do you re-energize yourself? I love working out, so I'm in the gym. That's that's my time to get away and whatever stressors that I may have, and and um, you have like anxiety there, whatever. I just go to the gym and work out and and, and remove, remove all those toxins in my body, all those negative toxins in the God. And I mean, obviously, I pray, and that's a prayer style from the of course. But, but I love to work out. I love to I love to hit the weights on my body. So Tyree. Um, when or if, let me say this question first, if you were cast in a feature film, fictional, would you want to play the hero or the villain? Hero. Hero. So I always say the villain because, I don't know, I think it'd just be fun and kind of different, but uh, I, don't, I don't have any gold medals, so that's that's probably why. Hey, well, so... Well, I was thinking, talking, talking about the film, I'm actually in talks right now with Christian Turan, who's a famous film director. Uh, he's created, he made the Hornets S and the perfect game. And, and so we're in negotiation and talks about making that series and movies on my life. So that, that pr- brings up the next question. I stole it from Hernando Planos, who's a basketball coach out there in California. And he always asks at the end of his Be Contagious podcast, if or when the feature film is made about you and you cannot play yourself, who do you want to play you in that feature film? Oh, it's going to be Mike. Um, I'm thinking Michael B. Jordan. There um, you go. Yeah, you know, and it's crazy. We, I, I, we, we thought about this is actually nuts. Thought about, you know, I was thinking about Chadwick. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. God rest his soul. But yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, there's so many, there's so many different, I mean, so many great actors out there. But um, you know, obviously, it's just they, you have to get in great shape because that 400 meters is brutal. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, you, uh, you're living like close to reality. For me, it's just a dream. So I always say Dwayne The Rock Johnson because I just think, hey, if I want to look like somebody on film, I'd like to look like The Rock, but, but that's me. And th- this question gets me in trouble, but my wife, she just laughs now or shakes her head. Who plays your love interest in that movie? And I'll go first. I always say Halle Berry, which my wife, again, she just shakes her head. But uh, The Rock Johnson and uh, Halle Berry, I think I'd go see that movie if that was about me. But what, what oh do my. you think? I'm going to go with Salma Hayek. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I, love, I, love, I love Salma Hayek. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, Tyree, thanks so much for making the time. TyreeSWashington.com. Against All Odds is the name of the book. And uh, we just wish you all the best. And most of all, um, our thoughts and prayers are with you and with your wife being in the military, with your five kids, with trying to balance everything going on in the middle of a pandemic. You are to be applauded, but that's something that hopefully you're used to. You've uh, certainly done it. So, uh, Tyree, thanks so much. I appreciate it very much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. And again, that's Tyree S. Washington. It makes some time. You've been listening to my interviews on Jay Fuller Interviews on the YouTube channel, The Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews on Google Podcasts and iTunes. Tune in, subscribe, Jay Fuller Interviews on YouTube and on Google Podcasts, The Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller. That's me of Jay Fuller Interviews. You guys have a great night. Thank you so much. We have great interviews coming up. And uh, we just had a great one. So make sure you share this with your friends.